Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you, sir. It's good to be seen. Good to be seen. We've had a little rain, but I kind of like the weather. Maybe the cold is gone. It's gone, Tommy. The problem with the cold disappearing is it never stays cool. It goes from cold and and freezing <laughs> to just plain hot. And that's that's what we're entering now. And it means that I've got to do yard work and all the things I don't want to do. So truth serum here, Keith. FAU and Miami in the final four annoys you or makes you see that you could get a pretty quick turnaround on the hoops front? Well, uh, our listeners will be not shocked in this comment. It's both. It's both. I did not see FAU coming from anywhere. Did you answer that question later? But as much as I don't like Miami, I do like Larinaga. I've always liked him. I mean, he's a really, really old guy still performing in a young man's world. And um, I'm just happy for him. I mean, they, they have played well enough. It's not been a fluke. They have beaten teams. It's not that they won because teams gave it up. And correct me if I'm wrong, you, gotta be, uh, you just got to be proud of the fact that it's the first time ever that two Florida schools has been, have been in the Final Four at the same time. Well, yeah, I don't think nationally people are going to care about that. And uh, I'll root for FAU. I'm not going to root for the Canes. I do agree with you there. Uh, I've not met Jim Laranega, but uh, he's done a good job at a lot of different schools, and he's likable. To compare it to Florida State or or bring it back home on that front, Jim Laranega in back-to-back-to-back years went 14-18, and 15-16, and 10-17. And, and that wasn't years ago. That was 18 and 19, 19 and 20, and 20 and 21. Exactly. And subsequently, he's gone to the Elite Eight and now to the Final Four. So he's about the same age as Leonard, too, I think. Uh, that would suggest, and, and they found some guys in the portal, and obviously NIL was in play because uh, they're the guy who bankrolls all that is happy to put it out on Twitter every time he's uh, signed somebody else. It would suggest, though, that uh, there, there is hope for Florida State on that front. Agreed. And, and certainly Coach Hamilton and his staff have not forgotten how to coach. So the last couple of three years, you know, are aberrations from the standpoint that they haven't had the ones and the wins and the losses that they wanted. And I, I still believe in the system. I still believe in Leonard. There was a very, very well done article in the Tallahassee Democrat that many of our listeners, I'm sure, saw where for probably the first time, at least recently, 
you actually heard Coach Hamilton say, I've got to change some things. And I know I've got to change some things. Normally, his appropriate, and, and I applaud it, his response is, we have a system. We just didn't coach it well enough. We got to get the players in to play it. But I kind of read between the lines and him saying, look, I now understand completely that the landscape has changed. We've got to pay attention to the portal. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We're not going to move away from our core principles, but we've got to change a few things, and we're going to be about doing that. And the fact that FAA, FAU is there that quickly is certainly uh, an encouragement that this can be turned around sooner as opposed to later. It's been an entertaining tournament this year, uh, for sure, even though college basketball, and this started happening pre-NIL, the names changed so much with one and done and moving on that you just don't know anybody. I don't recognize any of the players on any of the teams, but the games the games have been entertaining and worth watching. So uh, go Owls, and UConn's going to win it all uh, this, this weekend. It, it seems like they're humming, and uh, so that that's who I'll be uh, pulling for this weekend, I guess. And how about the fact that the, the UConn women are not in the Final Four for the first time in 18 years, 16 years? Yeah, that needs to happen. W- women's basketball has been so top-heavy for so long that it needs – and now South Carolina is so dominant, but, but women's basketball has long been – two or three or four or five teams that truly had a chance. And then there's a drop. And that that's the, that's the level Florida state has not been able to rise to honestly, from between being ranked eight to 20 or eight to 25 into the top. So, so on the woman's side, do I have to reach for, I have to root for the Hokies. Is that what I have to do? Or do uh, I root for, for your LSU Tigers? Well, you know where I have to go on that one. So <laughs> I, I have no choice on that. Hey, we're going to, Bob Ferranti from the Osceola is going to join us. There's a lot to talk about on the football field. First scrimmage last week, nobody was, uh, no media were in attendance, but uh, you can glean some things from the the post-scrimmage press conferences, and and subsequently they practiced on Tuesday, and uh, we're recording on Tuesday, so as soon as Bob finishes up at practice, he'll join us. I want to talk baseball real quick, though. Keith, baseball is is going through, is it growing pains? Is it simply put, they need more better players, more better pitchers? I don't think it's anything related to Link or the staff. Link's a good coach, and I have no concerns about what the ultimate future will be. But this is it's a tough year right now on a tough schedule. Very tough schedule, particularly early on. Of course, you got Miami coming up. The game against Florida was uh, postponed. Uh, they'll play that. Is it next Tuesday or a week from Tuesday? I think it's next Tuesday. Uh, the game they were supposed to play uh, on Tuesday of this week. Uh, you know, the thing that sh- stands out to me, Tommy, that is of only concern is I think most would say that the number one need for this baseball team is improved pitching, consistency in their pitching. Uh, they need a little better defense. Uh, they're hitting the ball well enough. They're scoring enough runs. Uh, I think many would agree. So the question becomes, now that you have the arms, you have the arm talent, and Lincoln, his staff, has only been here a short period of time. Can you translate that into being an effective pitching staff? And I think that's probably the biggest concern I have. Not that it won't happen, but how long it might take to happen. And that'll be what I'm paying attention to. Yeah, they'll get better as this season goes on. The schedule will lighten up a little bit. It's a little odd to say that, but 
you know, when you when you look at the schedule, I, I think Florida State has well, they've got Miami this weekend, so it's not lightening up right now. But then they get Clemson and NC State, and and Clemson and NC State are actually in the bottom third of the Atlantic or bottom three of the Atlantic with FSU. Uh, but you still have Wake Forest and, and Boston College, by the way, is currently second in the Atlantic and you have Louisville at the end of the year. So you're going to need to win some games to keep the consecutive regional appearance streak alive. So Florida State's gone to 44 straight tournaments, Keith. Context, this, what do you think the second longest active streak is right now? Oh, gosh, it's what, 19, 18? 16, 16. Yeah, 16. Yeah, so yeah. Florida State's at 44, going for 45. Vanderbilt is next at 16. So from a context perspective, really what this is, it's like the bowl streak. You want to keep it going, but it becomes an albatross because this is the whole topic of conversation with FSU baseball from now until Memorial Day when they announce the field, unless it's obvious that Florida State's not in it. Everything is about did FSU do enough. Nobody's really paying attention to what the issues are, which is you need more than Wyatt Crowell and you need a healthy Wyatt Crowell and you need better defense and, and more consistency and more better players and all those things. Instead, we're all going to start counting wins and you look at the schedule. And uh, I guess what I'm hitting at Keith is at some point, while you want to keep the streak alive, maybe sometimes it's just okay to reset the counter and just get that out of the conversation. We didn't want to see the bowl streak in, but once it did, you know, let's just get, we started a new bowl streak now, right? Yes, but yes, but. Because that uh, post-season appearance streak is so dominant and so long, I'm sorry, Tommy, I would really, really hate to see that go away. And I think I speak for a number, if not most, of FSU's baseball. You know, the, 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 tr the fans that have been there day in and day out. Um, but I hear you. What you're saying is not inaccurate. It has validity. I just don't want to concede to it yet. Is that all right? Well, here's a reason we don't want it to go away, aside from the obvious. It's currently tied for the longest postseason streak in college baseball history at 44 with Miami, who went to 44 straight from 1973 to 2016. So if nothing else, you want one more year so that you're not tied at the top with Miami. Well played, my, my, my well played, sir. Well played, sir. And, and there's some real irony to the fact, and we'll get to Bob Ferrante momentarily, that that Florida State baseball is at Miami this week while Miami's playing in the Final Four. So that sort of wraps up our first segment there on both the, the, both the sports we touched on. We'll get to football after this. We'll uh, open up uh, the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, and Bob Ferrante will join us here in just a moment. We're just getting started. We'll talk football next here in Front Row Knowles. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. As promised, time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, a lot to uh, talk about. Keith and I already did the hard part. We talked a little FSU basketball related to the fact that two Florida schools are in the Final Four. We covered baseball already. The Knowles didn't lose on Tuesday night. Uh, they got a rain out, so we'll take that for now. I actually think that was a pretty well-timed rain out given the way things are going. But how about football? We got a first scrimmage in the books. Not that it was open to the media. We've got a subsequent practice. Uh, update us. What's what's going on? And you're fresh off the practice fields right now as we talk. Yeah, I think Mike Norvell, we, we know the drill in the spring, in the preseason, the defense is ahead of the offense. That's the way it typically goes. And I think you want that to be the case. You know, with, with the scrimmage in particular, the defensive line, you know, Norvell said it 
dominant. I think that's really good considering experience, depth, all that you've got there up front at end and tackle. On the flip side, there are some reasons why. You do have some offensive line injuries. You know, the coaches said a few guys were limited. We knew going in Rob Scott was going to be out uh, for the spring. And, and the coaches opted to, uh, to to have Jordan Travis be an observer, be a coach, be a mentor for the first scrimmage, because you you know what you're going to get from Jordan Travis. And, and he has been incredibly consistent. And maybe that's boring, um, you know, in the spring when you don't have games to watch and kind of see those 300-yard games add up. But Jordan has been really, really consistent. I think the coaches spent a lot of energy in that spring, uh, first spring scrimmage, wanting to see, you know, a Tate Rodemaker and AJ Duffy with the ones, have them split some reps there, get a good look at what they could do with the first team, OL receivers, tight ends, and such, and, and then get get Brock Glenn in there and get Brock Glenn live as a true freshman, as a 17 year old, uh, which I think has to be a, a pretty amusing experience for for him too. But it, it it's I think it's been um, Yes, the defense is ahead in a lot of regards, but we're also seeing some offensive playmakers emerge too, some some good competition across the board. Bob, based again on only the comments from the the coordinators, it, it appeared that Glenn had a very good scrimmage for the first scrimmage. By no means, by no means am I suggesting he's vaulted himself into the number two role, et cetera, et cetera. But unlike maybe years, years prior, it is kind of exciting to see a freshman at the, at a skill position kind of stand out. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of star ranking. Is this guy a, a true three? Is he a four? Is he a whatever? Brock Glenn was rated as a three-star, but this guy does not look like a three-star. He's composed he makes the throws. He's very athletic. If anything, this is a guy who appears to be the right fit for what Mike Norvell, Alex Atkins, Tony Tokars want to do with this offense. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes the line between a three-star and a four-star is very much blurred, and you can kind of get too caught up in, well, what is he rated versus this quarterback or that quarterback? It's, no, we, we've been talking about this as a staff for a long time. Charles Fishbein has been looking at quarterbacks and Pat Burnham has two, and, and we've been high on Brock Glenn for almost a year now, saying that this was a guy who it was actually we thought higher of than than Chris Parson back when Chris Parson was a commitment to this class before Chris decommitted and ended up at, at Mississippi State. We thought Brock was a guy that was a really good quarterback and would, would be good for Florida State ends up committing to Ohio State and then backs off that commitment and, and lands in Tallahassee. He makes the throws very poised, very composed. I saw him in a in a just a moment from Tuesday night's practice in, in short yardage near the goal line drills. He takes a really, really bad low snap. Defense is coming right at him, composes himself for just a moment, sees Brian Courtney over the middle, fires it, touchdown it's just a moment but it just shows you that kind of composure that he he's not overwhelmed by everybody around him all these 22 23 year old guys we have to remember he's 17 years old so it is going to be kind of fun just to see his development 
And I think he's really very much holding his own in, in these big moments. Let's be honest, Bob, when you look at the last decade of FSU quarterback play, say for the last couple of years in the roster, there hadn't been a lot there since the Jameis days. We had that one spring where it was Jameis and, uh, oh, and his name's escaping me, a Coker who went to Alabama and won a title and Clint Trickett. But then post that, you had Sean McGuire and Cosentino and DeAndre Francois and Malik Henry and James Blackman. And then Willie came in, couldn't sign a quarterback. He got he got a Hornerbrook from, from Wisconsin. That was it, right? And then you had a kid that uh, decommitted, was committed, and, and Sam Howell went to Carolina. Then you lost the kid that goes to become the starter at Georgia Tech. And, I mean, it just feels like it's been a long time since you've looked at the quarterback room and said, man, I, I really like all the pieces, and they got another one committed for next year. I mean, it's been a decade, honestly, I think, since we probably felt like we – and I'm not saying Jordan Travis is Jameis uh, or that there's a that one of the other guys is going to transfer and win a, a national title somewhere, but it just feels good to feel good about the quarterback room. Right. Mike Norvell and the staff have done a really good job of just elevating the depth of a lot of these rooms. Wide receiver is a perfect example of how far they've come in a year. We think tight end might be making that move. Quarterback, too. I mean, in 2018 or 2019, those teams would have loved to have had a Sean McGuire quarterbacking them and leading them because there were some pieces around him that Sean would have been a really good quarterback for a lot of these teams. But yeah, finally to see some progression there, you see some moments from an A.J. Duffy. He's, he's got him. Uh, Tate Rodemaker, honestly, I wish he was a little bit farther ahead for a, a fourth-year quarterback, but not, not at all a, a bad guy to have in the room, somebody who's got a little bit of experience, coach's son, throws the deep ball really, really well. They've, they've got four guys that are really developing you know, and Jordan's super, super impressive. I mean, his athleticism and decision-making just doesn't just doesn't make the bad throws. He, he seems to see the play ahead of time and just it just all comes together very, very well for him when, when he's on the field. But yes, the way you feel about the quarterback room now compared to, say, when Mike Norvell arrived, you know, December 7th or whatever of 2019, the room has just gotten steadily better and better. Norvell sat Jordan Travis in the scrimmage. He said he, I don't think he, I'm paraphrasing, but he can tell in five practices that Jordan's at a high level and he's not concerned about Jordan. So I guess he'll be on a pitch count the rest of spring. Is that what you expect? You know, it, it's an interesting debate because I view the spring as, as developmental time. I, I've always viewed it as, that's when you want your early enrollees, your redshirt freshmen to get time and, and to get acclimated, get up to speed. But now it's changed a little bit where you've got these new transfers too. And you got to figure out how do the transfers fit? Is, is a Casey Roddick a, a guard or a center? So now it's okay. Well, how much time do I want Jordan Travis with some of these new pieces? And I think it, it, it is a balance. How do you figure out, how many reps this guy gets, how many reps that guy gets. I just think like of all the known quantities of all the most dependable guys on the roster, offense, defense, I think a Jordan Travis is, if not number one, he's in those top two or three guys with a, say a Jared verse, just, you know what you're going to get day in, day out, every practice, what they're going to bring in terms of mindset, 
personality, competitiveness, and just that kind of consistency. Jordan brings it. I don't know if it's so much of a pitch count, just as much as, hey, we want to see what can Tate do with the ones, what can AJ Duffy do with the ones, things like that. Keith froze and we lost him for a minute, but he's back. KJ, I promise I'll let you ask the next question when we come back from this break. We'll continue uh, talking FSU football with Bob Ferrante right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, we continue our conversation with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. All right, KJ, you had a whole break to think of something wise to ask Bob, so fire away. <laughs> well, you have to take yourself off mute, Keith. See, that's how it works. You had the whole break to do that, too. Bear with us, folks. I mean, do KJ that. is now getting I'm up off there. Mute. Now I'm off mute. All right, all right. I was fixing to say, fixing is that good Wildwood term, by the way, that I was going to acknowledge Bob's comment. It's not so much the transfers that I'm worried about. You, you've got to get them some reps. It's not so much your starters. It's the attitude of the starters. In other words, is Jordan still hungry when he gets his reps? Is Verse still hungry when he gets his reps? If you've got kids that are mature, kids that understand, kids that have bought into the system, and they understand when time comes, they have to work, and they do work, then is when you can give them and put them on a pitch count. Otherwise, you're continuing to try to reinforce them to understand what the work ethic is. And by all accounts, you can name four or five of these kids, Jordan and Verse being amongst them, that know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And then you can allow the transfers to the new kids uh, to have the number of reps. That, that's that's the, the principle and the background I come from. Well, talking about verse, let's move to that position, Bob. Uh, Patrick Payton has had a good spring. I mean, there's been really a lot of praise coming from different coaches about him. But the biggest news, I guess, that's hit so far this spring is that Derek McClendon has entered the transfer portal. Uh, on the one hand, not surprising. On the other hand, though he was not, he's not Jared Verse, he was a guy that was in the rotation and was going to get you 40 snaps a game. So, it means next man up, but what are your thoughts on, on that decision by McClendon and, and where that leaves FSU at the DN position? I think that if you're looking for positives here, Derek McClendon did a lot for this program. He has a degree from Florida State. He's moving on to somewhere else where I think he will find a home and I think he will find playing time. Now, the, the question is, will he find a better home and will he find more playing time? I think maybe in Derek's mind, the grass is greener somewhere else i don't know if this is truly all about playing time or starting my view of defensive end and defensive tackle has always been doesn't matter if you're starting you're going to get a ton of reps just because of the natural rotation and because mike norvell and the staff have put an emphasis on building depth on both of these lines offensive and defensive lines i think we've heard norvell say a couple times you know in, in press conferences and to boosters he said, you know, look at the teams that are in the college football playoff. Why are they there? They're there because of they have the defensive line play 
the talent and the depth to be competitive. I'm not saying Florida State's going to the playoff, but it feels like they have seen a formula that other schools have have taken a, a roadmap and they're following it. I'm not super worried about depth, you know, with with McClendon's loss. You've got Jared Verse, Patrick Payton. Uh, we've seen some some you know good stuff from Gilbert Edmond, a a hurdler track guy who's really athletic, the South Carolina transfer. He's in the mix. Byron Turner's in the mix. They, they've got some some really good players there, but we are going to see this. We are going to see some guys like a Derek McClendon, you know, pick names at other position groups. If you don't feel like you're a one or a two after the spring, you're going to be talking to your coach. And I think there are going to be more players like this who will jump in the portal. It's just the way we are in college football right now in 2023. The thing that frustrates me though, Bob, and this has been true for 40 years, maybe 60 years. If you're good and you have aspirations of playing in the NFL, they'll find you. And 40 snaps at a Florida State versus 60 snaps at a Tulane is not going to affect that. It's not going to affect it. The pros will find you. They are that good. That's what frustrates me about kids that leave if, in fact, they're leaving for playing time. Well, playing I, I time really doesn't matter anymore. I don't remember who the running back was, Keith, but when, uh, when Jimbo found Devonta Freeman – he was the backup, right? And whoever was the first team is who everybody was recruiting. And Jimbo said, no, I want that guy. Uh, so you could certainly argue that plenty of scouts will be watching FSU's defensive ends play this year because they're watching Jared Verse. And those same scouts would in turn be watching Derek McClendon this year, uh, to, to, to your point on that. Hey, Bob, Mike Norvell uh, had his booster tour stop in Tallahassee this week. And I know Jerry Kutz uh, was there. Probably several uh, members of the Osceola team were there. And uh, he's got a, a big article on the Osceola.com about it. Any any key takeaways uh, from from Jerry's article or, or what you heard? You know, I, I think one of the storylines that's maybe not so much on the football field is just how much, you know, Coach David Reese meant to his life that, you know, um, Mike Norvell's mother was a single mother and and he needed male father figures, good males who could kind of show him um you know football and and teach him the sport that he loved as a young boy and um interesting to hear you know David Reese coach and his wife call Mike Norvell Michael they remember him going back to a young boy and having him around the dinner table so I think just kind of the personal side of Mike Norvell is like a very appealing storyline for a lot of us that you know we're curious about who he was as a young man and why football is so important to him, why he took this journey into coaching is there. I think the other questions that, that coach Norvell is getting a lot of are the expectations and how you handle the championship aspirations, whether that's a division title, whether that's a conference title or, or something bigger, getting the playoff. And I think the consistent line that he's given is this is a program that internally puts its own expectations. And, and so everything that, that they've heard, maybe on social media or seen in an online story, is something that maybe they've discussed as, as a position group or as teammates. They, they are aware 
of what people think Florida State might be able to do. And, and they feel internally that they've got the talent, the coaches, the opportunity in front of them to go do what they want. I, I think that's maybe a good mindset just to just to accept those expectations and, and maybe not run away from them. The, the other part of it is, and we've talked about it before, this is not anything new, but his Coach Norvell's unwavering commitment to his standards, whether he's one in 11 or 11 and one, the standards are the standards. And those are not something he's going to compromise on, period, the end. And he's going to build from that. I think that's on the field. I think it's off the field. He's mentioned, you know, the team GPA being the highest that they've ever had in a single semester, I believe, in program history. I can't remember which GPA it was, but it was higher than my GPA was back in the day. Let's be honest. So Coach Norvell cares about the student and the athlete. And, And he's, like you're saying, it's a culture it's a standard, and I think it's it's kind of cool to hear that um, the expectations are so high for for what the student and the athlete should be accomplishing. Keith, to be fair, I think we're pretty consistent with our standards. It's just that the bar is a little bit lower. You know, I mean, we're we're okay with mediocre pretty consistently. Well, as I have mentioned many times, I am at the pinnacle of that mediocre career. There you go. It's almost like we've done this before. Hey. Uh, Bob, another another story that's uh, on the Osceola right now. Kurt uh, profiled uh, Jamie Robinson. So pro day is later this week. I guess this is kind of twofold or maybe threefold. I'll just throw them all in there. I'll pull an Ira special, as Norvell would say, right? I'll, I'll lump all these questions in. Um, where do you think Jamie's – how do you think he projects as a draft pick? And then part two is uh, – and this was part of Kurt's story. You know, how is Omari and Cooper trans – making the move to safety in terms of being a guy that replaces him. And then I'm just wondering bigger picture. There's several guys that are going to go through pro day, but is anybody else, some will make camps, but has anybody else got a chance to be drafted? You think? I think you so that was one up to Ira. Really. I want to say that was a three part question. That, that yeah, was I know. I, yeah. Yeah. I raised the ante on it. I, no, I'm aware. I, I lumped them all in there. No, it's good. I mean, they're all good topics for, you know, for late March and, I think the whole how you view a safety from the lens of an NFL team has maybe evolved just in how pass happy the league is now. And and we've seen, you know, the impact that a Derwin James, when he's been healthy, has been phenomenal and a difference maker for the Chargers. I think safety is viewed perhaps in a different light now than it was years ago. That kind of enforcer over the middle, the willing tackler, the guy who could drop back into coverage that kind of hybrid corner safety type is really very valuable. Now, I don't think Jamie Robinson is a first-round pick at the same time. I think the question is, is he middle to late second round? Is he third round? I I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to look for a guy like that who has that type of experience, SEC, ACC. He brings a ton to the table. Um, Honestly, the rest of the guys who are draft eligible – I, I think you're you're looking at late round picks, free agent type pickups. I think a Dylan Gibbons, if he can keep his body healthy, presents somebody who could play multiple offensive line positions, for example, with a smaller roster. That's really really advantageous in the NFL if you've got a guy who can you know stash on the practice squad and and develop him. 
I don't know if a Pokey Wilson, for example, is is a really draftable receiver, but is he is he a good free agent pickup? Somebody who again has that speed, has that experience. Um, again, stash him on the practice squad, develop him, see where he might be able to go. So these these kind of pro day workouts and the personal workouts are, are really huge for them because you know they didn't get the chance to go to the senior bowl. They didn't get those NFL combine invites. So it, it does show you what the NFL folks thought about them coming out of the fall with what their film looked like. But now there's the opportunity to maybe improve on, on what you've got, what, what you can do from a, from a draft standpoint. The, um, the third part being who is the Jamie Robinson replacement? I think you've got some good choices. I mean, Omarion, I think what they're doing in the secondary right now is, is moving guys around. Some guys are corners. Some guys are nickels. You're playing both a little bit of both positions. Um, Omarion could be the guy. Shaheem Brown could be the guy. The legend of Travis J is this the year Travis J, you know, a- after having some minimal impact years, 2020-21, what could he offer? Good news is Florida State's got options. And, and you're seeing those. You're seeing a K.J. Kirkland uh, emerge as a freshman. We're hearing that name, K.J. Kirkland, kind of practice in, practice out. So there are some really good options and it's kind of a question of, yes, I think the coaching staff will try to put a, a guy and really cross-train him to where he's good as a nickel and then as a corner or as a nickel and as a safety. They'll try to keep guys learning multiple positions because that's what's best for them, but also because of the, the threat of an injury. If an injury pops up, you just need to have guys who are available to throw out there as needed. Guys, the bottom line is the two positions that have changed the most over the last 10 years are the safety and the tight end, both at the collegiate and the NFL level. And I'm not still, I'm not sure we still know what those positions are supposed to look like. I think they're still evolving. I'm sorry, you caught us off guard, Keith. You you went short. I thought there was, you know, more of a soliloquy coming. And I feel like I owe it to you since I monopolized this segment by putting 42 questions into one with Bob. So why don't you go again and we'll, we'll finish up on whatever you want to ask him right now. Well, the bottom line is, you know, one of the things you worry about in the spring, Bob, is injuries, both injuries in terms of off season surgeries, when people are limited or they're held out of spring and they have to get ready for summer and fall. And then injuries that occur during the spring, and based on everything we've heard, at least through the first uh, third of the spring, um, that has been something very positive for Florida State. Uh, is there something else we should know about or you've heard about? No, I mean, honestly, the injuries, it's part of football, and, and we're, not, we're not allowed to get into specific players. I think the cross-training has been a significant storyline for the Seminoles, say, on the offensive line. Again, a, a Casey Roddick. Is a guy who's never played center before in his life, in his entire high school, college career. And now he's he's been given the chance to try it out just to see, does it work? How does it work? He's probably better suited as a guard, but the spring gives you that chance just to try different positions. I think we're seeing heavy cross training at defensive back, offensive line. Um, Micah Pittman's injury has kind of opened the door at receiver, you know, Really seen some good things from Kentron Poitier. 
Uh, Vendravius Jacobs is the freshman who I think everybody is talking about every practice. Um, Vendravius makes some kind of play that just makes you go, that guy can't be a freshman. How is that guy truly a freshman? And I, I'm sure when it goes to pass, pass blocking on the perimeter, he might look like a freshman. I, I get it. But just from a pure explosiveness, he makes some really great plays. Um, yeah, I think it, we're just seeing some good encouraging competition at these various position groups and, and seeing you know a lot of good cross-training too. Bob, we will let you go on that note. Appreciate you putting up with us as always. All right, take care. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joins us uh, just about everybody every week. Somebody from the Osceola does. We'll take a break, come back and wrap things up right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, good stuff from Bob. Uh, it's encouraging, Keith, when you talk football and people are excited about the new parts and pieces because we're already excited about the returning parts and pieces. Well, it's all about building the depth. Uh, and as we talked about, it sounds, it sounds very fundamental because it is, but you're building a program. And uh, again, that's one of the things that have been most impress impressive to me about coach, coach Norvell and his staff is, is the, the buzzword of today. They've been very intentional about being very basic in building the foundation. And they've not wavered from it whatsoever. Hey, switching topics. I heard this. I'll give a shout out to uh, Jeff Colhane, the voice of the Knowles, if, if folks are familiar with his Behind the Mic podcast. But he had Michael Alford on this week. And I believe by the time people have heard this, we're recording on Tuesday, but Wednesday morning, uh, there's a Florida State student athlete who's speaking before Congress about NIL, uh, which the first part of that question, Keith, if, if you're in front of Congress, is it always testifying or is testifying only if you're having to defend something? And if you've just been invited to speak on a topic, it's just put that way. Or is she actually testifying? That's the question I have. Well, I'm going to say she's testifying. She's okay. giving her testimony. Okay. Um, it kind of has a negative connotation. I wasn't really sure. My Myron Roll went a couple of years ago and he spoke about, uh, you know, the, the brain injuries from football and all that. But anyway, Kaylee Mudge from the softball team got invited. I think the bigger, the bigger point, A, uh, good for her and good for Florida State to, to have that kind of opportunity. Uh, it, it speaks more to Michael Alford's or it speaks to Michael Alford's connections because he's been chairing that NIL uh, committee at the at the NCAA level for a number of number of years, even before he got to FSU. And, and I believe that's how that door got open. Agreed. And the whole NIL thing, there, there are plenty, myself included, that believe that the NCAA is not going to be able to control this. And that while inviting Congress to help is not necessarily the all, always the best way to go, this might be a topic where only inviting Congress to help uh, is, a, is a potential safeguard and guardrails for this thing. Otherwise, it, it's already the wild, wild west, and we're going to get further into the wild, wild west. I hear your voice in my head, Keith. I'm from the government. And I'm here to, is that what you're, you're getting at? I'm getting at, that's not what you, it's not the way you would want to do it, but I'm not sure there's another way to do it. 
Yeah, interesting. All right, so Florida State baseball will be back on the road uh, at Miami this week. The game against the Gators was uh, rained out on Tuesday. Probably a best-case scenario to just go back to the drawing board. And uh, uh, sometimes, you, you know, uh, sometimes you need a rain delay. <laughs> kind of reset the counter, figure out what they want to do with their staff this weekend at Miami. You got the Final Four coming up. You got Florida State football. We'll have another scrimmage. And uh, we're just a, a couple weeks away from uh, from seeing that on display at the spring show. I think it's the spring showcase now. We're acknowledging showcase finally now. that it's not a game, even though it Correct. really hasn't been a game for a number of years. Uh, it's a showcase. Uh, Keith, you know what would make that more interesting? If you played a team, maybe maybe another team from somewhere in the southeast, you play them at your place this year and play them at their place next year. Maybe Auburn, hypothetically, since they're right up the road? Something like that. All right. Folks, we've been preaching it since 2013. So when it happens in the name of money and television media and all that streaming, uh, you heard it here first. Anything else you'd like to add for the good of the order, Keith, before we get out of here for another week? Well, just to, just to comment about the baseball team. Um, obviously, Link hasn't forgotten to co how to coach. His staff hasn't forgotten how to coach. We thought that because of the splash of the hire, the, the results would be immediate. They're not. It's taken a while, but be patient. He'll get it done. It just may take a little longer than people were, were anticipating. That is the nature of the beast. All right, Keith, we will uh, do this again next week. Good to catch up as always, folks. Uh, thanks to you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Front Row Knowles.